We're going to look at a numerous scriptures this evening. Tonight's message is very topical. We'll be all over the scriptures looking at different things. And um, the title of my message is Satan's Tools. Satan's Tools. As we journey through our Christian walk, we need to be reminded that there's forces at work who uh, want and desire for us all to fail. And all of us to become wrecks uh, in our lives, to be useless uh, for the work of the Master. And uh, I think we've all seen examples, and we don't really want to rehash those. Uh, but the idea is that we need to be striving to do our best for Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what we need to be striving for. And our, the forces that are against us are not minuscule. They are significant. Satan is not stupid. All right, our adversary is very, very smart. Uh, the uh, the reality is uh, he's not as dumb as the world would make us want to think. You know, it's often you see the Satan referred to as the the guy in charge of hell, and you know he's a bit of a doofus and things. There's no such. He's not like that. You know, he he's a very. If anything, he's got. He wants you to underestimate him. So now he's even a better foe. If the enemy can fool you. There have the advantage. Uh, so we need to be watching out for him. And uh, Satan is an enemy of our Heavenly Father. So I thought about that this week. Um, so I know my dad. I love my dad. And if I knew he had an enemy that hated him, I wouldn't hang around with the enemy, would I? Now, my dad would have every right to be upset with me if I came home after spending the whole evening with the enemy and come walking into his house. He'd be like, where were you? What are you doing with that individual? You know he can't stand me. He hates me. He's against me. Uh, so for us as individual believers, we need to understand that the adversary hates our father. So if he hates the father, he hates you as individual believers. Uh, so we need to understand that and get a hold of that truth and then help us with our own lives. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad had, I mean, actually, I don't know if it was this big, but when I was a kid, everything, all garages looked honking big to me, right? So my dad built this big honking garage in our backyard, all right? Uh, he could fit a couple cars in there, and he had all kinds of tools, and that's really what I'm thinking about. He, he'd have this table, probably, probably two lengths of this, just the whole side of that garage, was tool tool uh, tool bench, and there was a work or his workbench, whatever you want to call it, and there was so many tools. I mean, there's tools all over that. Then he had a couple of these big box tool, you know, on wheels. You know, you all you mechanics out there, are like Pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. There's a certain word for it, but you know what I'm talking about. All right, he just had all kinds of tools. Some of them were extremely well used. There was hardly any of them that looked new. Some of the wrenches were smooth to the touch. There was no longer any kind of grip on them. Just just smooth. Just wore out by years of use. Others had nicks on them from when he knocked it on the side of the engine block. There's other ones that had burn marks on it because he got a little too close with it with the torch. You know, that kind of thing. Others were extremely dirty or greasy, more greasy. My dad did keep his tools clean, but the greasy ones. And all those tools got jobs done around our house, kept our vehicles going. It was neat to go in there as a kid and, you know, play with them. I had no idea what to do with them. And I really still don't know what to do with them. 
but the idea was pretty neat. That was all his tools. No, our enemy has toolbox too. You could call them these, these tools weapons as well, but we need to be watching out for them. He likes to apply them on our hearts and lives. So Luke chapter 14 and verse number 18. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, help us this evening. Help us to be Christians who are watching out for our enemy who desires us to be ineffective. Lord, help us to be strong for You. Give us Your strength and Your courage. I pray these things in Your holy and precious name. Amen. And I mean, if you continue reading this portion of Scripture, there is just not that individual. There is numerous ones who made excuses as why they could not follow for the feast. They made all kinds of excuses. Now, I think you probably heard me say this, that my mom would constantly tell me that an excuse is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. So the skin was a reason, but it was stuffed full with a lie. Uh, and uh, I don't know why I have never forgotten that, but I've always remembered it, okay? When someone says, I have an excuse, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Just so you know, next time you say, I got an excuse, that's what's going on in my head. I'm thinking what my mom told me. And the Lord, uh, the Satan is really good at helping us find excuses as to why I shouldn't do something and why I shouldn't take care of this matter or why I shouldn't witness or why I shouldn't be in church or why I shouldn't be uh, doing what's right. Now, I'll be honest. In my 20 years of ministry, I have heard some pretty crazy excuses for not doing, for for example, going to church. In August 2000, uh, actually in May of 2000, I got married. Me and my wife got married. We did everything you're not supposed to do the first year of marriage. Actually, we didn't like the first three months. All right, we got married. Well, we graduated May 1st, got married May 20th, and in the end of July, we moved to Newfoundland. And, you know, it was... Everything you're supposed to wait. We just rushed right ahead. We just did it. And we got to Newfoundland, and uh, I was uh, hired as a youth pastor there. My wife was the Christian, one of the Christian day school teachers at the academy there. And uh, we had a great time. We enjoyed ourselves there. We had a, a lot of teenagers. The biggest, Pastor Matt, the, where's Pastor Matt? There he is. The biggest youth activity I ever had was 50 teenagers. And you know what I did? You ready? It was gro- a grocery shopping trolley races. I found, actually, my dad was involved with this too, okay? So my dad would be doing work, doing odd jobs, and he found a bunch of grocery store trolleys, all right? And we're like, that would be awesome in the gymnasium. You know, we'd set up an obstacle course, stick kids in it, and haul them all around. And my dad got so excited about it, I was like, yeah, let's bring that into my workshop. We we got the bearings all oiled up. I mean, these things were going fast, okay? And we, we bought, I mean, I announced that. And like, even parents came out to go in the trolleys. I mean, it was awesome. It was a wonderful time. And, and that's why my hair is receding and going gray. And that's as soon as going to happen to Pastor Matt. But at any rate, uh, so we, there was three guys in particular that I was working with. I spent a lot of time with these guys. They came from really, really not good homes. I call them the Three Stooges. I called them that then, and they still are the Three Stooges to me. Uh, there was one guy who was pretty short, but they were all kind of substantial, if you know what I'm trying to say right now. 
They were substantial. All right, so there's one short little guy. There was one you know, kind of taller guy. And then there was one really tall guy. And all quite enjoyed their food, okay? And I had my first car was, well, once we got married, was a Ford Escort, okay? Those three lads would get in the back of my car, and I would be grounding out all the way home, you know? And this one night, I picked them up for, for a youth group, and uh, we were driving down. It was called Black Marsh Road. And those three lads are back there saying some stupid jokes, you know, laughing amongst themselves. And uh, I hit a, a pothole the size of a meteor, hit that thing, and I thought I was blasting off in outer space. The sparks were coming out the back because they were hit the back of the, the, the ground so hard. My shocks blew out. And they're all back there, oh, that was so funny. I'm like, you rascals, I should give you the bill. Blew up my two shocks. I mean, and these guys are always doing crazy stuff. And one guy's home in particular was really bad. I mean, I'm not, there's no joke about that. It was bad. And I would always be trying to encourage them, say, listen, get to church. You know what I tell them? I say, you need to go to church and get encouraged. And that's exactly what I tell you today, 20 years later. You need to get to church and get encouraged. By other believers. They're there to help you out and encourage you along. And so I would get these guys to come and pick them up or arrange rides. And this one Sunday, the middle guy, actually no, the tallest guy, sorry, he didn't come to church. And I thought that was really weird. I saw him on Friday and he said, yeah, I'm coming to church, pastor and things. And uh, So later that next week, I was in his neighborhood, stopped by. This was before the age of texting someone that you were coming by. You know, you just knocked on the door and see if someone was home. And uh, he was there. I was like, hey, how you doing? Are you feeling better? And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, you missed Sunday. Where were you? What happened? And straight face, he looked at me and goes, oh, I couldn't come because my cat threw up a hairball. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I started laughing first because I thought that was a really poor excuse. It's horrible. But he was dead serious. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, I would never say that. But you know what? The Satan and the adversary against us is always looking to put excuses in our minds. To say, why well, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. Uh, it's a tool that he has used extensively. He'll get you to find an excuse not to give a track. He'll get you an excuse not to go to church. He'll get you a track to excuse yourself from doing something that you know you need to be, whatever doing, whatever it is. And the reality is, if we don't watch out for it, we can find ourselves excusing ourselves from a lot of things that are needful. And it will hurt us. It will hurt you as an individual, and it will hurt us as a church family. Look over in Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. And it's the same thing in verse 59. I'll just read you verse 61. Another also said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. You know, another thing that we need to watch out for is procrastination. Procrastination. Here is a portion of Scripture. A number of men say to the Lord, I'll follow you, but I have to do other things first. I'll put it off. Let me do this first and I'll put it off. Serving God was good, but they had some other things. They they want to do some other things first. Then their minds may be better things, whatever the case. Procrastination means to put off from day to day 
to defer to a future time, to delay. It's easy to put something off till tomorrow, isn't it? It's super easy. I'll start that diet tomorrow. I've said that lots of times. You know what happens when I find with that? It never comes. You just keep putting it off. Now, some things, you know, are, some things are not sin in, in the sense of it's not sinful to put some things off. You might say, well, I'll go fishing another time. That's nothing wrong with that. You might say, uh, I use this for ladies' example. I might go shopping another time. No lady's going to say that, but you know what I'm saying. I'll go shopping another time. Or whatever the case, there's things that we can put off. It's no big deal. But in the area of responsibility, of our own personal responsibility in serving the Lord, it's not right to put off for another day what we can do today. We don't know if we have tomorrow. It's a very popular tool. And I'm not saying that every time you procrastinate that you can blame it on Satan either. But the idea is this is a tool that he uses. He gets in our thinker. He Listen, our enemy is all but mind games. All right? He likes to get in there and cast his web and things. He, he's, he's really good at the mind games. Uh, but it's a really popular tool. And in our culture, because we are very busy people, we live very busy lives, it's easy to say, I'll put that off till tomorrow. Now, I'm going down a little rabbit hole here now. Just give me a second. I think the, the pressure to be busy. Do you ever feel like there's pressure to be busy? Because if you're not busy, you're not really producing. I know that to be true in my own life, that there's times when I feel like I have to be doing something. You know, if we are always constantly doing things, doing things just to do things, you know what we're not doing? We're not listening for that still, small voice. Now, I understand that you've got to be at work. You need to be doing your work. You can't tell your boss, oh, I have to be quiet now to listen for the still, small voice of the Lord. Now, you won't have that job for long, will you? No, you have to take care of your responsibility. But we need to make sure that we're pausing more than for a couple seconds. We need to spend some time quiet. Our world is busy. And we just need to make sure, and I, I think it's, uh, definitely a, a tactic that's used by the enemy and is a tactic that we fall so often that we need to make sure that we seize the day and seize those moments with the Lord. Actually, it should be more than moments, but we need to seize those times with the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard a story of a preacher who worked for a, a big company. I don't know what kind of company it was now, but he worked for a company. And this is when he was a young fellow, uh, just still in Bible college, and he was uh, a janitor and he was cleaning up the front office of this company uh, office uh, headquarters, and as he was cleaning up, the big boss, the guy who owned everything, came walking out of his office. He stopped and talked to him for a little while, and uh, he chatted, and he said in his own testimony, the Lord impressed upon my heart to witness, and he said, oh, in his own mind, I'll do that another time. The boss walked out. He never saw that boss again because the next week he died. We don't know, do we? We don't know. And the idea he gave, this story, uh, gave us that story is to be encouraged to others that like, seize the opportunities. And just not in the, in the area of witnessing either, folks. Uh, don't put off for another day what should be taken care of today. Hey, if you need to seek forgiveness today, seek it. If you need to give forgiveness today, give it. If you need to see that relationship restored, do it today. Tell your children that you love them. Uh, as a child, show uh, love and respect to your parents. Do it today. Don't say, I'll do that when I'm when I'm older. I'll do that tomorrow. No, do it today. You know, don't fall for that ploy of procrastination. Don't fall for it. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 3. 
1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. For ye are yet carnal. <clears throat> For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, I think most of us here know, but just in case you don't, the Corinthian church, church, church in Corinth, was a very carnal church. Extremely carnal. And Paul's trying to help them. He's trying to get them on the right path. And he confronts them, the believers of this church, that are living in a dishonorable way. And he's telling them that you're causing division. You're causing division among the church. And that word division means the act of dividing or separating. And we need to watch out because that's a, that's a tool that Satan uses today is division. He loves to see division amongst the brethren. So uh, I read about it. I didn't know about this till a couple of years ago. I read this story uh, about some big pull horses out in Alberta back in early 1900s. One pull horse, one horse could pull 9,000 pounds. That's a lot. And this guy owned another horse that could pull 8,000 pounds. So in the story, it was a question, so how much could they pull together? And I'm good at math. So I said, 17,000 pounds. Well, guess what? I'm wrong. They could together pull an astounding 30,000 pounds. Doesn't that sound impressive? It's a, what's called, the principle is called synergism. So the idea is that simultaneous action by separate agents working together has a greater total effect than the sums of individual efforts. So that one horse could do 9,000, the other one 8,000, but they could never pull 30,000 by themselves. But together, because of the energy and the power, they could do 30,000. That's amazing. Totally amazing. And the reality is, in the church, we need to have that same type of principle, and that's what God wants us to have, is unity of the brethren. And moving forward, if we're united, we can do some amazing things. Every person in the local church is valuable and needed. The church is a team, it's a family, it's a living organism. We could use all kinds of analogies for it. Uh, but we need to be building and growing for the Lord. Amen? Whatever terminology, analogy you want to use, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be moving forward. We have abilities, we have talents that, that should God has given us to help move forward the cause of Jesus Christ. We can be certain that Satan likes it when children of God are divided. When there's something that could be Put in there to separate them. Now, I'm not promoting for a moment holding hands with those who uh, would water down the truth of the Word of God or not preach the gospel right. Uh, no, we need distinctions, amen? There are things that we absolutely believe, okay? We, we believe these things. These are what the Word of God tells us. That's not unity. That's compromise, and that's not going to happen. But there needs to be working together, right? It needs to be. And Paul speaking to these these individuals at this church, uh, they were living with division, with envy, uh, with strife. Doesn't that sound like a great church to go to? No, no, none of us. If we looked online, if you had online back then, which we know they didn't, but if we had the ability to look at the First Baptist Church of Corinth and like, oh, Paul said they have strife, envying, and division. Honey, we're not going to church today. Who wants to be involved with a church like that? We want to be moving forward with Jesus Christ, amen? Together, in unity, moving forward. Our church ought not to be against itself. I mean, a house against itself will not stand. It will fall. We need to be moving forward with Jesus Christ. 
We're to bound together in unity. And we need to watch out for those events or things that could cause disunity. And again, I'm not talking about compromise. I'm talking about sometimes us getting our nose nose out of joint and getting upset about things. No, we should never have a spirit of division. We want to see unity moving forward for Jesus Christ. Disbelief is another one. Over in Hebrews chapter number 3. Hebrews chapter number 3. Hebrews 3 verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, he's referring to Moses when they were bringing... Uh, the people in the promised land and uh, those rebelled. You wouldn't follow the Lord. Uh, they end up in a wilderness again for uh, 40 years. Uh, the word unbelief means disbelief of divine revelation or weak faith. I honestly believe that unbelief is a tool that Satan has wielded very effectively in our generation. I can't speak for other generations. I haven't been around, but I watch it today. And by us, I mean true Christianity across the board. Okay, uh, We live in a generation that is totally dependent on themselves. On themselves and believe only what they can see. I believe the Lord is constantly grieved by His children because they fail to believe and so often display unbelief in God's power and strength. Christians around us are falling victim to unbelief, the sin of unbelief. Just, no, I don't believe God can do it. It's kind of like we were we saw this morning with Gideon. He, he had a weak faith when the Lord first talked to him. He had a weak faith. You know, the God that I serve, the God in heaven today, is still powerful enough to stop the Jordan River. Do you know that? He can do that today. He can still down, knock down the wall of Jericho. You know, I understand the thousands of years have not weakened him. He's still God. He owns the entire world, and though the entire world would say, no, you don't own us. You're not the ruler of this world. He absolutely is. He created it. He is in charge. We need to be looking to him and having our belief in him that he can do it. Sadly, uh, we demonstrate a weak faith by looking on our own strength. Our weak faith, we have demonstrated weak faith by looking at our own strength to carry us through when our own strength was never designed to carry us through because we are weak without God. We can't do it on our own. We will, I mean, we'll fail and falter uh, because we're human, but we can't take care of everything on our own strength. That's ridiculous. That will lead to utter confusion. No, we need to look to God. Now, have belief and faith in Him that He'll do as He says. Now, I believe that as older Christians on occasion, we have been setting a bad example. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I'm just using very general terms here. Because we have become comfortable in what we have. Hey, we got something good here. Amen? It's a great church. I love this church. I love the people in this church. I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, But we can get comfortable in what we have and we aren't... Looking to live by faith. I just, I'm, I'm okay right here, Pastor. I'm okay right here. Now, I, I really believe from God's Word that we need to step out by faith. Amen? That's what God's Word says. We need to get outside of our comfort zone. We need to be an example to those coming after us and those before us. We can be that example. But we need to watch out that 
the enemy doesn't use this tool on us. Look over in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter number 2. And verse 15. 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, none of the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, these verses are fairly well known in the church house. I mean, I've heard them mentioned numerous times. Um, though known... They're often neglected or put to a side. The worldliness means covetousness, addictiveness to gain, and temporal enjoyments. As believers, we should be more interested, not be, sorry, should not be more interested in things or amusements that seize our minds. We should be looking to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have for us? Now, I'm not against having times of relaxation and taking a break and, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to Wonderland on Tuesday. That's not what I'm saying, teenagers. What I'm saying is that if that's our constant mindset, we're in trouble, though. We're in big trouble. We need to watch out for that. It's not about the world. It's about serving Jesus Christ. Uh, and we need to keep watch out for it. Now, I did not know this until this week as I was studying this message. So, if you had a cube of lead, and then if you had a cube of gold, and you put the lead on top of the gold... Over time, the lead would penetrate. They would, it would penetrate into the gold. And in, after a while, it would just be totally immersed to both together. And there was no way that you can remove the gold from the lead. It just all becomes one after time. Now, you know which one is more valuable, right? Gold. That's the valuable. So, and the idea is here is that we tend to absorb the spirit to share the opinions, to partake of the qualities of our closest friends and companions. What your friends are like is what you are becoming. It doesn't matter your age. I don't know how many times I heard the preacher preach this when I was a teenager. Watch out for your friends. You need to have good friends. You need to have right friends. You need to have the right companions. And I actually thought, well, when I get older, I don't have to worry about that anymore because I'll have my friends picked. Hey, you always need to be careful about who you're hanging around with. You always need to be careful about that. Because you are becoming like who you hang around with. I mean, I could get the strongest fellow here today and get him on a chair and represent that he has high standards, he's trying to live for Jesus Christ, and then someone else comes alongside and he's trying to lift them up. You know what often happens is that they're lifted down without the help of Jesus Christ lifting another person up. And so often I see it in relationships, boyfriend and girlfriend. Maybe the girl's got high standards, the guy comes along, he doesn't. He hauls her down, vice versa. Hey, you need to watch out. You need to watch out for worldliness. The lead will debase our gold. That's why the psalmist says, Depart from me, evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Even David knew it. I can't hang around with them because I won't keep the commandments of the Lord. I need to be separate. So watch out for worldliness. And then this is the last one over in Revelation chapter number 3. <clears throat> Revelation chapter number 3. In verse number 15. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot, and I work cold, work, thou work cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee 
out of my mouth. And this is what I want you to get. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Pride. Pride. We need to watch out for it. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This is the church of Laodicea. It's being confronted about its condition. It's not a good condition. We read of their lukewarm attitude towards the Lord. And the Lord did not approve it. And when verse 17, we see their pride. I, that's what pride is all about yourself, right? Uh, me. I am rich. I'm in need of nothing. Increase with goods. Pride means an inordinate self-esteem, unreasonable conceit, conceit of one's superiority. This church in Laodicea was filled with pride. It was seen in every corner of the congregation. It didn't matter where you went. It was there. Pride is something that every one of us here needs to watch out for. No one's exempt. You can't say, well, I'm done with pride today. It won't come back. No, it'll come back. We need to be constantly watching out for it. Uh, we are so quick uh, in our North American society to think that we are something. It keeps Our society keeps us telling us, you're great, you're great, you're great. You're number one, you're number one, you're number one. And it's not long before you start thinking, I'm number one, I'm number one, I'm number one. No, we look at the Scriptures and realize we're nothing without Jesus Christ. Not very many people get excited about that. It's not a really pleasant thing to remember because there's nothing proudful about realizing that without Jesus Christ, we're lost. Filthy rags, worms. I mean, that's not a pleasant picture. But through Jesus Christ, we're, we're something. Amen? Through Him. Not through our own works. Through Him. And giving Him the honor and glory. That's not pride. That's giving Him the glory He deserves. It's because Jesus I'm here. That's nothing to do with you. It's all about Jesus. Years ago, uh, in uh, Illinois, they started uh, personalizing license plates. So the first day that they allowed that, they received over 1,000 requests for one. The idea of number one. Over 1,000 people wanted that. So the state official who was responsible for that job, he said, I'm not about to assign it to someone and disappoint 1,000 people. So he came up with a fantastic solution. He took it. I'm number one. Now, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you, I think you've seen those mechanical rides at outlet malls or regular malls. That's that's where I usually see them uh, as I'm waiting for my wife to come out of the outlet mall. I see those mechanical thingy-mabobbers. You know, I'm, my kids used to always want to get on them. Actually, my kids still do get on them. But anyway, uh, you know, so I think we've all seen them in the malls or whatever. Uh, you know, it used to be a quarter. Now it's like a mortgage payment. But anyway, uh, you know, you see them there. So the story's told, this little boy and a little girl on a horse, you know, so mom's trying to squeeze that toonie out the best she can. And that little guy looks at that little girl and says, you know, if one of us would get off, there'd be more room for me. <laughs> get off. There'd be more room for me. You know, it's always about us. It's me. It's me. We're, it's so easy to fall into that category. It's, look at me. Look at me. They always become number one. Not too long ago. I was driving up the 427 to go to Costco up there, uh, just off the 427. I don't know what street it's off now. So I came out here. I was heading north. And they're doing a lot of construction over here on the 427 north. I don't know if you know that. But uh, I was coming on to the highway. I was driving correctly. 
just have you know right now, I was not speeding, anything of that nature. So I'm merging onto the highway, and this guy comes zooming past me on the inside shoulder. I mean, he got the hammer down. I mean, just going, and I got so mad. You know that's illegal. That is so illegal. That is not right. And two, it's very dangerous. I mean, really. What if I had a bad tire and I had to pull over? I would have got smashed up. And three, you're ahead of me. That's really what got me mad. <laughs> I mean, really be honest. I'm, I'm just doing, I'm following the queue. You know, I'm being the good Canadians, following the queue. And this guy goes zooming on the inside and he gets four car lengths ahead. No, no I'm going to admit something. Sometimes I pass that person, I kind of look at him like, yeah, yeah, was it worth it? You know, I know it's not right, but I have to deal. You can pray for me about that, all right? It's pride, right? I'm first. I got to get ahead of you. I got to be in front. You know, have you ever been to the mall at Christmas time? And like people stalk you going back to your parking spot. I'm like, ooh, get away from me. Sometimes I pop in next to a car and then I run around the other side just to mess them up. I'm a bad guy, but at any rate. Uh, you know, it's all the first come, first serve. I'm going to get there. You know, it's just like, hey, it's all, you know what it's a symptom of? Of the real issue and it's pride. It's about me, me first. Me first. It's all about me. You know what really deconstructs pride? It's humble submission to Jesus Christ. That's what deconstructs pride. Because pride's all about me. Humble submission to Jesus Christ is all about him. We put ourselves in the right position. Our enemy, the adversary, is at work. He and his minions are in a lot of overtime. And they're using their tools. And they're using other tools I didn't mention. Against individual believers, against the church. So let's endeavor as individual believers that we're not going to fall for excuses. All right, We're not going to fall for procrastinating, doing what we know we need to be doing today. We're not going to be found in the realm of being applied with the, the tool of causing divisions in our families, in our relationships, in our church. We're not going to fall into disbelief. We're going to believe our God is able. We're not going to be hanging out with the world. We're not going to be worldly. We're going to stay away from that worldliness. And we're going to keep a humble heart to God so we won't be affected by pride like we see from God's Word. Listen, folks, it's a constant battle. There's no one, there's no one believer get up and say, oh, I got all those taken care of because it's a daily battle. Daily battle. How's that battle going for you? Dear Jesus, thank you for another time to be in your word. Thank you for these dear folks being attentive to your word. Or I pray you help us. The enemy <clears throat> seeks to hurt, maim, splinter, divide. Oh, I pray we would stand for truth and live for you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.